and welcome to episode 69 of Margaritas with Margarita Cheng, CFP Pro, a weekly podcast where for 15 minutes, you will meet truly amazing people in the world of finance, macro and micro, as we'll see today, who help us flex our financial muscles and just really understand what the world economy looks like. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer of the show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV. And I can't even believe to be, we are so blessed to have today's guest, Lina Abirafi, a global women's rights expert, author, and speaker who creates innovative solutions to global women's rights challenges. Her books include Freedom on the Front Lines and Gender and International Aid in Afghanistan. She also writes an amazing weekly blog. If those topics are a little bit too heady, she'll break it down for us one week at a time. She has worked for more than 20 years as a humanitarian aid worker in Afghanistan, Haiti, Central African Republic, Papua New Guinea, and others, and now works independently to advise organizations and companies to enhance their engagement with women's rights and gender equality. Wow, just blow me away. So Rita, take it away. Well, thank you so much, Hope and Lena. I am so glad you're here. And yes, I love reading and I have both of your books here. We just want to know what ignited your activism for women's rights. Well, you know, being born a girl, uh, you realize at a very early age that the world doesn't see you as equal. We all have that kind of shared experience where suddenly you feel like you're less than your voice is less than, your choices are less than, your opportunities are less than. And so I picked up on that at a very young age. I think like so many of us do, that feeling that I had to behave in a certain way, do a certain thing, say a certain thing or not uh, to kind of conform to what society expects. And I felt very confined by that. I guess I was a feisty uh, fighter of a child. Um, and I didn't put a word to it until I was a teenager. I didn't understand that that level of inequality meant that I was a feminist. And I learned that word when I was 14 and I was in high school in a class called Comparative Women's History. And I learned about women's history and I thought this is a history of abuse, of inequality, of discrimination, of exploitation, of violence. And I just couldn't stand it and I was furious. And so that got me going and I haven't stopped since. I love that. You got to be careful what you complain about because you're going to try to solve the world's problems. So what does the world look like for women? And what do you believe are the most pressing issues for women right now? I know we only have a short podcast. We could spend a whole year talking about this, but on a high level. Well, what people don't believe is that not a single country in the world has achieved equality. Not one, not even Iceland, not any of those countries. We are fundamentally unequal and we are not doing well in terms of rectifying that imbalance. Apparently, we will not reach equality until 2108, the year 2108. Now, I wasn't planning on sticking around that long, but let me tell you, I'm not leaving until we get there because I'm just so upset that we still are arguing for the same things, the same space and opportunities. Uh, we cannot seem to level the playing field. And then this varies dramatically by region. Obviously, there are some regions that are far worse than others. But still, sitting here, you know, even in the U.S., we are seeing our rights and fundamental freedoms being taken away, the rights that we thought that we had. 
So, you know, I have to ask myself, what's going on? You know, we seem to be moving in the wrong direction and that is backwards, that is farther from equality. And there's so many reports and measures and statistics that tell us this. So it really, this isn't just me being angry. This is, you know, the World Economic Forum and all sorts of credible sources that say, we've got a gender gap that is wide and getting wider. But for me, I mean, to answer your second question, I would say the biggest problem we've got is violence against women. Because you can offer us all the rights in the world, um, access to participation in economic and political life, education, healthcare, everything that we deserve and should already have. But as long as there is violence against women, you're not gonna be able to access any of those rights. As long as you're not safe in your body, in your life, in your home, on the street, in school, in office, in public office, then all of that stuff is, is moot. So for me, that's the thing that makes me the most upset, that we're just not safe. And I keep saying, if women aren't safe, then no one is safe. So we should at least start there. Absolutely, safety, Maslow's hierarchy, right? Safety, psychological safety. So absolutely, you know that I bought both your books and I read them. So what was the driving force between writing your first and second books? Well, I was um, working in Afghanistan from 2002 until 2006. So already that's a good chunk of time. Uh, and I had access to a lot of information. I was working uh, with a lot of Afghans, of course, running an organization that had the hundreds, if not thousands of women in and out the door all the time, uh, looking for support and accessing programs and services. And I started to notice that we could have done a better job. You know, there was a lot of language around liberating Afghan women um, in 2001, you know, following 9-11, there was a lot of conversation about what we're supposed to do, how we need to go and rescue them. And I think we sidelined a lot of Afghan voices in that process. We didn't listen to the women who were already on the ground doing the work who were actively liberating themselves. So the first book was really about that, the idea that we need to listen to Afghan voices. And that was published in 2009. And the second book was in a way accidental because I wasn't expecting that Afghanistan take the turn that it did in August of last year with the Taliban taking over once again. And so I was compelled to write another book and I did so very quickly because the story was unraveling as I was frantically typing it. Uh, the idea that we didn't listen and we could have prevented this and this 20 year story of intervention and supposed liberation of Afghan women has left them worse off than they were before. So that was really the story. I know, it's gut-wrenching. So the first one is Freedom on the Front Lines, Afghan Women and the Fallacy of Liberation. That's the, the second one. Oh, that's the second one. Oh, Gender and International Aid in Afghanistan. Okay, sorry. What's the next book about? Well, the next book is on Arab feminisms. I spent the last seven years working as the executive director of the Arab Institute for Women. That's an academic and activist institute uh, based in Beirut, Lebanon. And there I started to um, meet a lot of young women, young activists, young feminists. And I thought, this is, this is really cool. There's a lot of hope for this region if all of these young people are ignited and taking to the streets. And we've seen from movements around the region, and in fact, around the world, that young people are really leading the charge for change. There's a lot of young feminist movements on the street, uh, protesting, they're just not taking any crap. And I thought, that's amazing, I really love this. And I started to talk to them, and it was through their voices and experiences that I managed to put together this second book. I have um, a co-author, and so she and I are working frantically over the next two weeks to put the finishing touches on it, and 
sending it off to the publisher and expecting it to be released in the spring of next year. How exciting. So do you have a title? We don't yet have a title because we're going to have to negotiate that with the publisher. But Arab Feminisms is going to be in the title. Okay, so stay tuned, everyone. And what are your plans going forward? Well, what I'm interested in doing is finding a way to leverage the career that I've had. As you've said, I've worked all around the world. I feel so privileged to have done so. I have all these rich experiences. But what I've learned in coming back to the States is that you know, I didn't really need to go far. You don't need to go far to do good was a big lesson for me because the front lines are really right here. Um, There's so much going on and there is, uh, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of backlash and there's a lot of untapped potential. And I feel like there are new ways to do this work and to drive change forward faster. You know, my chances of staying alive until 2108 are slim. And with that in mind, I want us to move faster. I want us to get there so I can see that kind of change in my lifetime. Um, I think women and girls deserve no less. So to find more creative ways to do that, to access sort of untapped potential, to meet new stakeholders, to work with different partners, the unusual suspects, to be able to raise their level of awareness so they take action, so they feel like they're just as angry as I am and motivated to change. So with that in mind, what can people do to get involved and how can people follow your work? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, poke me through any means necessary. If you can spell my last name, you can find me. And even then you can probably still find me. Um, and I, I urge people to, re- to look around and to see all of that injustice and inequality for women and girls. And once you see it, you'll never unsee it. You know, it's the idea that if you're not angry about this, then you're asleep. And people ask me a lot what they can do. And I say, well, start where you stand. I built a TED Talk around that theme when I delivered it in 2015. And I told people, you don't have to go all all the way around the world and do it the way I did it. You don't have to go to countries like Afghanistan or Haiti or Mali, because it is actually right here all around us all the time. And once you see that, once you realize that those kinds of violations exist in our own space, you know, it's not about other women over there and other countries. No, it's you and me and us and here and now. Um, Then people start to take some responsibility um, at home, in their communities, in their workplace, in schools, whatever it takes. And there are so many creative ways to do it. And if people can't find those entry points, I will find them for you. Well, thank you so much, Lena. We so enjoyed our time with you today. Now back to you, Hope. Thank you so much, Rita. This was just amazing. You are phenomenal and everything, anything we can do to help support you and your cause, we are here for you. So thank you very much to our audience for tuning in to today's episode of Margaritas with Margarita Chang, CFP Pro. And we look forward to talking with you again and to promoting this truly amazing woman who is our guest today. So thank you all for joining us and we will be in touch. Thank you so much for being part of our Incandescent Radio and TV family. This is Hope Katz-Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Incorporated, the PR and publishing company for women entrepreneurs. 
Our incandescent radio and TV shows are brought to you by our advertisers and clients. Margaritas with Margarita Chang, CFP Pro, brings us 15 minutes of tips every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live, where you'll meet experts who are helping us flex our financial muscles. Find all of the episodes at margaritachang.com. You'll also meet intuitive psychotherapist Kara Keem, who interviews therapists and other intuitive guides from around the world. Learn more at karakeen.com. And you're going to love social justice expert Karen Hanrahan, CEO of the San Francisco-based Glide Memorial Foundation. She bridges the gap from local impact to global change on her thought leadership show on Incandescent Radio. Learn more about Karen at karenhanrahan.com. You're also going to love Alina Liao, founder of the radical wellness journaling company, zenitjournals.com. Alina asks, have you tried to journal but found it hard to keep up? Zenit makes it easier to journal for your wellness. With Zenit, you can customize your journal with prompts that speak to you. No more blank pages. Your Zenit is your personalized space to take care of yourself. Website, zenitjournals.com. Feel it, write it, Zenit. You'll also meet amazing Tracy Schott, founder of VoicesForChange.com. Tracy is determined to change the world and end domestic violence. Learn more at VoicesForChange.net. And we are so thrilled to be publishing a book for Angela Mitchell, who is the tech expert of case management. And she's also the founder of this fabulous organization, Kids Code 2. She is determined to teach kids to code computers. Talk about teaching a kid to fish. We invite you to discover and peruse all the Incandescent Incorporated websites, the magazine for women by women about women, incandescentwomen.com. Our health and wellness magazine is beincandescent.com, the business of mind, body, spirit, soul, and heart. Our YouTube channel is incandescent.tv. And you can learn about our PR and book publishing services at incandescent.us. If you'd like to have your own radio and video show, check us out at incandescentradio.com, where you can see what we can do for you. These podcasts are also featured on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Our podcasts are produced by Brandy Wilsker. Our videos are produced by Nelson Benavides. Our website developer is Max Kukoy, and our incandescent illustrator and designer is Michael Glenwood Gibbs. If you'd like to learn more, please send me an email, hope at hopegibbs.com. Here is to your incredible, indelible, incandescent success. Much love and many thanks.